Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss one of the most important evidence-based psychology principles that makes you successful, self-awareness. We look at the difference between people who succeed and those who plateau. We talk about why self-awareness is the meta skill of the 21st century and the foundational skill required to succeed in nearly anything. And we examine conclusions from over 800 scientific studies about self-awareness with our guest, Dr. Tasha Yurik. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. First, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand called How to Organize and Remember Everything. It's our most popular guide. You can get it absolutely for free along with another surprise bonus guide when you sign up and join the email list today. Next, you're going to get a curated weekly email from us every single Monday called Mindset Monday, which our listeners absolutely love. It's short, simple, filled with links, articles, and stories of things that we've found interesting and exciting in the last week. Lastly, you're going to get a chance to shape the show. You can vote on guests, change our intro music, even submit your own questions to upcoming guests. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to our email subscribers, so be sure to sign up, join the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage, or if you're on the go, if you're driving around, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. Join the email list today. In our previous episode, we discussed how to master relationships. 
went deep into cutting-edge networking strategies from one of the world's top connectors, examined how to unite people in collaboration and co-elevation, looked at the power of generosity in building real and authentic relationships, discussed how to let go of individualism, and much more with our guest Keith Ferrazzi. If you want to build a world-class network, listen to that episode. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show, Dr. Tasha Yurik. Tasha is an organizational psychologist, researcher, and principal of the Yurik Group. She received her PhD in industrial organizational psychology from Colorado State University, and she's the New York Times bestselling author of Bankable Leadership and Insight. Her TED Talk has been viewed over a million times, and her work has been featured in Business Insider, Forbes, New York Times, and much more. Tasha, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you on today. So I'd love to start out with, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest themes and biggest things we talk about all the time in the show is, is self-awareness. And I know you've, you've kind of described self-awareness as the meta skill of the 21st century. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what does that mean to you and why is self-awareness so important? It's such a great place to start because I think it's really the genesis of, of really all of my passion about this subject. So I'm, I'm an organizational psychologist, as you mentioned, and what I have done for the last 15 years is use evidence-based principles of psychology to help usually executives, but lots of you know, people in organizations be successful and make companies a better place to work and make leaders more effective and, and happier and be able to engage their people. And what I started to see you know, really over the course of that time were two types of leaders. You know, one type of leader was successful, successful enough to get promoted, but really didn't have an appreciation of, of who they were, you know, who, who were they authentically, what did they value, what was important to them, nor did they have an appreciation of, of how other people saw them. And so they, they inadvertently got in their own way. And a lot of times with those people, it's not a matter of if, but when they, they crash and burn. But on the optimistic side, the other type of person I saw or leader were people who were able to sort of meet any challenge that came their way. And the reason they could was they knew very clearly who they were. They knew their values. They knew their strengths. They knew what they didn't know. And they also had an appreciation for the effect they were having on the people around them. And so this is, you know, sort of what we call self-awareness. And about four years ago, I, this is really embarrassing, but it was, it was Christmas break and I was kind of bored. I didn't have a lot of client work. And I, I said, I wonder what the research on self-awareness really is. You know, what do we know? And I, I started to do a review of, of what the, the science on self-awareness really said. And I discovered just how little we knew. So, you know, it, we've been talking about it in the business world so much that it's kind of this buzzword, but from a scientific evidence-based perspective, uh, there were so many things that we were assuming that may or may not have been true. And so I basically have spent the last four years of my life going through a, a very in-depth program to understand what self-awareness really is, where it comes from, why we need it, and really how to get more of it. So that, that's the preface of, of how I became so passionate about this. And the reason that everybody who's listening to this can be passionate about it too, if they're not already, is I call it the meta skill of the 21st century. And there's so much evidence that people who are self-aware are more fulfilled. 
they have stronger relationships, uh, they're more creative, they're better communicators, they're, they're more confident, they are more effective leaders. And actually there's, there is evidence that, that self-aware leaders actually lead more profitable companies. So there's tremendous amount of benefit. But the reason it's the meta skill is basically our self-awareness sets the upper limit for so many of the skills that we need to be successful in, in the world right now. Things like communication skills, influence, emotional intelligence, collaboration. We can only be as good at each of those things as we are self-aware. And so the other thing I call it sometimes is the secret weapon of the 21st century. So many people think they're self-aware, but they actually aren't. And so people that work on it are the ones that really I've seen reap the rewards time and time again. You know, you, you brought up a great point, which is which is something that I've always found really sort of fascinating and maybe a little bit sad. But the idea that the less self-aware someone is, the less they realize it. It's pretty disconcerting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's and it's I mean, it's kind of a, you know, manifestation essentially of the Dunning-Kruger effect, the idea that, you know, the, the least competent people have the least awareness of how unaware and, and sort of incompetent they are. That's exactly it. And, and it does extend to self-awareness. My research has shown that, get this, 95% of people think that they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% actually are. And so, you know, the joke I always make is that means that on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And I mean, it's very meta in a sense. I'm curious, like kind of going back slightly, because I want to make sure we're, we have a clear definition of this. How do you, you, you touched on a little bit, but how do you actually define what is self-awareness? We thought early on in our research program that this would be a pretty quick cursory question to answer, but we ended up taking almost a year and reviewing 800 scientific studies to figure out, you know, what the heck is this thing we call self-awareness? People were defining it differently. They were using sometimes like conflicting definitions. So we did that review of all of the research and we came up with two broad categories. So self-awareness in general is the ability to see ourselves clearly, but it's made up of two specific types of self-knowledge. Number one, we call internal self-awareness. And that's kind of what we think about when we hear that term most of the time. It's being clear on our values and our passions and you know our personality, our strengths and weaknesses, really seeing ourselves clearly from an internal perspective. The other type of self-awareness, external self-awareness, has to do with our understanding of how other people see us. And so, you know, that's a completely different skill set. It's a different mindset. And surprisingly, in our research, we also found that those two types of self-knowledge were completely unrelated. So somebody could be low on both, in which case they have nowhere to go but up. They could be high on both, which again is very rare. But more often than not, people tend to be a little bit higher on one than the other. So you, you get these archetypes. You've got somebody who is, is clear internally but doesn't understand external perceptions. I call those introspectors. You know, self, self-examination might be a hobby for them. But if you go talk to their friends, their friends would say, Ooh, oh boy, sometimes <laughs> that person can be a little annoying or they they're cheap or, you know, whatever, but the person doesn't even have an understanding of that because they haven't taken the time. The other side of the coin I call pleasers. And I put myself in this category. These are people who spend so much time 
trying to understand how other people see them, that they might actually lose sight of what really matters to them. And so I think it's a really interesting framework because it helps us discover what are the areas of of self-awareness that we can improve that will give us the biggest bang for our buck. And have you found any correlation kind of between either one of those two being more or less related with kind of some of the outcomes you talked about a moment ago, whether it's being more fulfilled or being happier, being better communicators, et cetera? There, there is some evidence there that there is a little bit different effect. Uh, you know, you sort of think about some of those internal outcomes like happiness, confidence, those seem to be a little bit more related to internal self-awareness. And then if you look at the out, outcomes of the external self-awareness, you know, things like our relationship strength or even uh, other people's ratings of our emotional intelligence, those tend to be a little bit more related to those external perceptions. But what's interesting is, is for most most outcomes, both of them are related. So if, if we work on one out of the two, we might get benefits in, in both areas of our lives, kind of the internal part of our life and the external part of our life. So I want to dig into kind of how, how we can cultivate both of those forms of self-awareness. But before we start with that, I want to circle back. You know, one of the topics you touched on a second ago is this idea that self-awareness is, is sort of a foundational skill. It's almost an underpinning of every other skill. And I think that's a really critical point. Exactly. You know, take something like communication. I cannot name a single person that I know that is a good communicator that is not also highly self-aware. To, to think about that internal and external self-awareness again, uh, you know, to be a good communicator, you've got to know what you do well, what you don't do well. You've got to know what's important to you so you can be able to sort of authentically represent that. But then you also have to know the effect you're having on the people around you. You need to be able to tailor your communication to their style and their needs and, and their passions. So, I, so it's just such a great example of where both of those types of self-knowledge are underpinning pretty much any other skill. And we could substitute so many other skills for communication. But I think that's just a good example kind of to start with. And we've seen that. I mean, you know, on the show, we've interviewed all kinds of experts from a variety of fields. And I'd say the single most recurrent lesson that we've uncovered is that self-awareness is, is, as you said, sort of the meta skill that's necessary to be successful in really any area. And what I love about that is that our research has shown that self-awareness is an infinitely learnable skill. So sometimes it feels overwhelming to say, oh my gosh, you know, I was one of those 95% who thought I was self-aware. Maybe I'm not that self-aware. That's a, that's a good thing. And what, what I can tell people is after that somewhat rude awakening, there is nothing but confidence and success and fulfillment on the other side of it. We, in our research, one of the things we did was fascinating. We, we found people who didn't start out self-aware, but who became self-aware and, and made these really dramatic improvements in, in their lives and their work. And we didn't find any demographic patterns. So they weren't more likely to be one gender than the other, didn't matter what their industry was or their job. It didn't matter whether they worked or not. Uh, It didn't matter what age they were. The only thing these people had in common were really two things. Number one was a belief in the importance of self-awareness. And number two was a daily commitment to improving it. And what I love about that is it sort of makes self-awareness available to all of us. We, we all are equally capable of building that self-awareness. 
I'm curious, how did you cultivate that sort of, or, or, or I mean, maybe not cultivate, but those people who had, as you called it, kind of a rude awakening where they started to realize the their own kind of lack of self-awareness, what was that catalyst in, in, in some of the research you did or the work you've done? Have you seen, what has really kind of broken people through that kind of fog and, and taught them, wow, maybe I'm not nearly as self-aware as I thought I was? That's such a great question. So just for terminology, we we actually started to jokingly call these people that we're talking about self-awareness unicorns because we weren't sure if we'd be able to actually find any, but thankfully we did. And when we interviewed our unicorns about that exact question, we sort of found that that those experiences fell into to at least one of three categories. So the first category was being in some kind of a new role in their lives or having to play by a new set of rules. So that might be getting married, living with someone for the first time. It might be a new job in the same company. It might be a new job in a different company. But really any any situation where you have to fundamentally change your assumptions about your environment and sort of how you fit into that environment. The second was something I call earthquake events. And these are these are those events in our lives that are they're usually negative that are so devastating that we we can either bury our heads in the sand or we can say, I need to figure out what role I played in this. Um, you know, everything from unexpected divorces, people were telling us about getting fired and they had no idea. They were completely shocked. We also found some people talked about even illnesses, really serious illnesses that they got through onto the other side, but that really catalyzed their self-awareness journey. But here's what's interesting. So those two types of events, to me, seems like they would be the most common catalysts for self-awareness. We actually found a third type of event that was twice as likely to be a catalyst than the other two. And I, I call them everyday insights. So these are basically things that if we pay attention on a daily basis, we are getting so many opportunities to improve our self-awareness and just the normal course of our lives. This is a, a silly example, but I think it's really, it, it says a lot about this area. One of our unicorns was talking about, she was in her first apartment after college and she was moving in with, with her best friend. They were so excited. They were unpacking their kitchen and she she barked to her friends, you know, don't put the plastic cups in front of the glass cups. That's just ridiculous. And she remembers sort of hovering outside of her body in that moment and saying, oh my gosh, wow, I must be really controlling if I just said that. And that was a huge insight for her that she was able to sort of build on and continue to examine her behavior. So once again, I think it's great. We don't have to wait for these events to come to us. We can decide that we're going to, to get on top of it and really be in charge of our own journey. I think that's a great point. I mean, everyday life is so filled with rich experiences to think about and observe and get feedback on your own behavior, your own thought patterns, the way you kind of act and behave in the world. And it, it's, it's, you know, there's such ample opportunity if you, if you can kind of open your eyes and start to actually look for these things. That's it. It's, it's all about paying attention. And sort of behind that is the mindset that, you know, in, in a positive, self-accepting way, maybe I don't know myself as well as I think. And what if I didn't? And what kind of a newfound curiosity might that give me about my world? So in the work you've done, what have you seen? What are some of the barriers that people have when they try to kind of begin this journey of self-awareness? What are some of the struggles or challenges that they encounter? 
Oh my gosh, there are so many. We could do our own podcast just on this probably, but maybe I can attempt to sort of talk about the different categories that they fall in just so people can be aware of sometimes these really hidden factors that get in our way. So the first type of barrier are are the things internally just about how human beings are wired. What we've learned since the days of Freud is as much as we want to be able to excavate our unconscious thoughts and our feelings and our motives, you know, why did I really do that? Or why am I really like this? Most of that information is simply not available to us. It's, it's trapped sort of in a locked basement where we can never find the key. And so many people, you know, I think it's the influence of Freud that, that we just feel like, well, if I, if I go to enough therapy or if I journal enough, these things are going to come to me. And it's not that we shouldn't introspect. Part of it is just that, that we often make many mistakes without knowing we're making those mistakes. So one sort of easy way to get around that barrier is to accept it and to say, okay, I might not be able to know exactly why I picked a fight with my spouse this morning, but maybe I should, I sh- instead of asking why, I should ask more action-oriented, logic-based questions. And usually what I tell people is if you can substitute the word what for the word why, that's going to give you a lot more insight. So instead of why did I get in the fight with my spouse, I can say, well, wait a minute, what contribution did my behavior have to this situation? Or what are the common situations that I find myself behaving like this the most? Or what do I need to work on in the future so that I can be more cool headed? So so those are sort of those internal barriers that I think we just have to change the way we're introspecting and we'll get a lot more benefit. The second overall category of uh, barriers to self-awareness is the world that we live in. You know, you sort of think about the rise of of social media and reality TV and, and all of these celebrities who are famous for doing absolutely nothing. That isn't coming without a cost. And I call it the cult of self. It's this idea that that in our daily lives, both online and offline, we're, we're being tempted to become more and more self-absorbed and less and less self-aware. And unless we actively fight that, we might find ourselves uh, belonging to the cult without even knowing it. And so one really easy way to get around that barrier, again, it's not going to do everything, but it's a good start, is to really spend some time thinking about how you're showing up on and offline. Are you what researchers call a me former? which is someone who constantly talks about themselves, you know, is posting all their recent work accomplishments on their Facebook page or, you know, regaling all of their friends with stories about them all night. Or are you an informer who is really trying to focus on adding to other people's lives, you know, posting a beautiful photograph to Facebook or asking somebody about themselves and trying to learn more about them than than talk about how smart or how right you are. And so I think it's, again, it's something that we just need to be aware of. Even in writing this book, I've become aware of so many behaviors I didn't know I was demonstrating. And and that was one of them. So those are kind of the two largest barriers, the having uh, sort of a flawed methodology of introspection and then also getting caught up in this kind of cult of the self. Yeah, those I mean, I think overall, those are probably the two places we can we can look first. And I think it's important to remember for that first barrier we cannot excavate our unconsciousness. 
And for so many people, that's that's how they spend their time trying to get self-awareness. You know, this is a very complicated subject and I don't want to be glib, but that there are a lot of therapeutic approaches that that are solely focused on excavating the unconsciousness. And so I think, you know, I'm not saying that therapy is bad. I'm not saying that introspection is bad. I just am encouraging people maybe to be a little bit more intelligent consumers both of, of help that they're getting from someone else, as well as the, 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 own, the questions they're asking themselves. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Tell me more about that, that kind of notion that it's difficult to excavate our unconscious. So really there, I think, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but the influence of Freud has not left us. There's been so much research and evidence showing that a lot of his most fundamental assumptions, uh, you know, about his work were wrong. 
he was right that we have sort of an unconscious set of thoughts, feelings, even behaviors that sometimes other people can see, but we just don't have access to. And it's really interesting. There's so much work that's being done on this. You know, for example, we often have uh, implicit behaviors that that we're engaging in that that we have no idea we're doing that other people don't or that other people do see. And there was one study that said the reason for that the researchers thought was that it was just because we didn't see ourselves from a different perspective, and that you know if, for example, they the researchers showed participants video videos of themselves doing these things, that participants would actually notice it. But shockingly, they found that that wasn't the case. So there, there's something about us that researchers, to be honest, don't fully understand that, that just gets in our way of seeing so many of our internal processes as well as our behavior. And, you know, I think that's alarming for some people, especially aficionados of self-awareness. But, but there's also something freeing about it to say, I don't have to spend this time, you know, talking about my childhood Maybe I need to make peace with my past and understand my past, um, but but maybe it's about moving forward with purpose and sort of logic and curiosity. And that that's what I would encourage people to sort of start to change in their minds. The one other thing I'll say just about introspection in general is that in addition to the fact that it doesn't work the way most people are doing it, it's been shown over and over and over to be uh, something that depresses us that stresses us out, that makes us anxious. I remember the first time I discovered this in my data, it was it was really late at night and I was in my office and I just analyzed a set of data. We were looking at the relationship between uh, people who introspect and things like uh, happiness and stress and job satisfaction. And I was absolutely convinced that the people who spent the time introspecting would be better off. But our data found the exact opposite pattern. We found that people who introspected were more stressed. They were more depressed. They were they felt less in control of their lives. And that sort of gets to some of these mistakes that we're making. But it also has to do with this idea that to to gain insight, we don't have to get into all of those dark, horrible places about ourselves. We can really think about moving forward. And so, you know, I think if nothing else, if somebody is listen to, listening to this podcast and is passionate about self-awareness, I'd really encourage you to think about just kind of a, a self-awareness audit. What are the things I'm doing from an introspection perspective that are serving me and what things might not be serving me as well as I think they are? Seems Yeah, it seems very counterintuitive, the idea that introspection can sort of fuel, you know, anxiety or depression, etc. And yet, if we want to pursue self awareness, that's kind of a very tight rope to be walking, it seems. It is. And, you know, there's a reason so few of us are self-aware. I think even the most well-intentioned students of self-awareness, they're not aware of a lot of this research. And part of what my goal has been with all of this work, with the work I'm doing and the work I'm I'm representing that other scientists are doing, is to kind of get the word out and say, we can make the world a more self-aware place. We can make ourselves more self-aware. But to do it, we're going to have to examine some of those fundamental assumptions that we've been making. And just making sure that I understand the idea is that focusing primarily on kind of action oriented sort of forward thinking applications to solve some of your sort of current challenges or problems is more effective than the idea that you should dig deep into past traumas or something like that. 
that's what my research and a ton of other people's research has shown. And again, it's it's sort of a hard fact to swallow. You know, back early, early in my research program, when I first discovered this, I had this moment where I said, oh, my God, maybe self-awareness isn't actually a good thing to have. But but I think we can distinguish the process of, of self-reflection from the outcome of self-reflection. And most people just generally assume that if I think about myself, I'll know myself better. But again, it's about being intelligent about the way we're approaching it. And, and if you don't have these off the top of your head, it's totally fine. But I'm curious, do you know of who some of the other kind of researchers are as well? I'd love to dig in and do some homework on my own. Oh, sure. So Timothy Wilson has done a lot of really great work on that. If you, he has a wonderful book called Strangers to Ourselves, and uh, it's very geeky and academic, which makes me love it. But in there is basically every citation that has shown some of these effects. Another researcher that's done a lot of really great work on this in the last 10 years is a gentleman named Anthony Grant. And he was, as far as I can tell, one of the first people to disentangle this idea of non-productive self-reflection from productive insight about ourselves and and really sort of discover the facts that just because we self-reflect doesn't mean we're necessarily going to be self-aware. Well, we'll make sure to include both of those sites in the show notes as well. But I think that's a really that's a really interesting conclusion and and, and very important distinction to make. It really is. And and I hope everyone that's listening to this can help us get the word out. Um, you know, again, if, if we want to make the world a better place, and I think probably everybody wants to do that right now, given where we are, we, we have to start by making it more self-aware. And to do that, I think it's not even just just educating ourselves and changing our own behavior. It's It's helping other people who are open to it and interested really learn kind of the truth about it. So for someone who, who wants to embark on that journey of self-awareness, from the work that you've done, you know, how would you kind of put together a self-awareness training regimen for them to start or some of the kind of first steps that would be really productive things to do to begin that journey? Sure. My glib response is they should totally buy a copy of my new book, Insight. <laughs> and the reason I say that actually in truth is there are tons and tons and tons of strategies. And it's not just a matter of saying, do this, this, and this, and you will be self-aware. It's about really sort of, you know, starting with a mindset that says, I am going to be braver enough to become wiser about myself. And I call that braver, but wiser to start to question some of those assumptions you've been making about yourself or about how others see you from there. From there, you've got to start doing some diagnostics about, you know, my internal and external self-awareness. Where am I actually at? And everyone who's listening to this is smart enough to know that we can't, uh, you know, evaluate our self-awareness on our own. We have to look at how other people see us and talk to them about those perceptions. There's actually um, a really cool quiz that we put together just as a, as a resource to support this book that's totally free. Um, if anybody wants to take a quick quiz on that, where basically you fill out 14 questions and then you send a survey to someone who knows you well, they fill out, fill out the 14 questions and then you get a report that says, here's your high level internal and external self-awareness. I think that's a really important part of the process because maybe you're doing great at one and you should be focusing most of your time on the other. Uh, maybe you have room to improve in both and you make it an educated decision about what's going to help you the most. So I think that's critical and we shouldn't you know, sort of overlook that step. And then from there, it's a matter of saying, okay, what do I want to improve? If you want to improve your internal self-awareness, Again, there are tons and tons and tons of tools, but 
One thing that our unicorns really universally reported doing that is so easy to incorporate into your life is something called the daily check-in. And what they do basically is at the end of every day, whether it's driving home from the office, whether it's uh, you know sitting in bed before they go to sleep, they ask themselves essentially three questions. Number one, what went well today? Number two, what didn't go so well? And number three, what can I do to be smarter tomorrow? And what I loved about that was it sort of allows us to reflect in a mindful and uh, you know curious way without starting to overthink some of those things in a way that, that leads us away from the truth about ourselves. So that's one thing people can do for internal. The suggestion I'd have if you think you need to improve your external self-awareness, the first thing you could do is have uh, what I call a, a dinner of truth. And this is actually an exercise that was developed by an awesome communications professor, Dr. Josh Meisner, that he's been using this with his students for years and years and years. And the way it works is you find someone who you want to improve your relationship with them. You believe that you have a solid relationship, but it could, it could get even better. You invite them out to a meal. I, I suggest dinner in case you want a, a nerve-diffusing adult beverage, although it's not required. And you sit down at dinner and you ask them, what do I do that's most annoying to you? And then you resist every temptation to defend or explain or disagree, and you simply listen. And just in general, in terms of our external self-awareness, I think we're so, sometimes we're overly simplistic in the way we think about feedback. You know, we assume that anybody gives us feedback, we should listen, and any feedback anyone gives us, we should act upon. And of course, it's not that simple. So, you know, we don't always have to act on everything we hear, if, especially if the person who's giving us that feedback might not have the best of intentions, or they might not be comfortable telling us the real truth, the ugly truth as they see it. Or maybe we get feedback about a skill that doesn't really matter to us. Or we get feedback about a skill that we don't feel like we can improve no matter how hard we try. It's really a matter of having that self-awareness to say and the, and the self-acceptance to say, what do I want to work on? And what instead am I going to just be more open about? I, I tell a story in the book about a leader, uh, an executive entrepreneur who started a bunch of companies who learned that he wasn't the best communicator. In fact, he was a terrible communicator. And he did all of this research and basically concluded that he he wasn't wired that way. But instead of letting himself off the hook, he now is more open about that with his team. And he says, this doesn't mean I don't care about you. Here's how I'm going to show you that. And so that's just another tip I would give people to, to intelligently consume feedback just like we are going to intelligently consume the introspective methods that we use. I want to dig deeper into feedback, but I also want to kind of this, this, I love the question, what do I do that's most annoying to you? But I'm curious, are there other questions other than just focusing on annoyance? Is that too kind of narrowly focused in terms of getting a clear perspective? Yes. And, and I think, you know, it's not too narrowly focused. It's one tool and one exercise that we can do. You know, th there are a lot of people in, in my experience, just in, in my work and, and kind of getting the word out on this book, who might not be fully aware of their strengths and what they bring to the table. A lot of us are overconfident, but a lot of us, by that same token, don't fully appreciate our gifts. And so for them, uh, you know, if, if you feel like you fall into that category, I would probably say, instead of doing the dinner of truth, find a friend that, you know, you really feel like you've got a strong relationship with and ask them a different question. Ask them, 
why are you friends with me? And, you know, for both of those exercises, I wouldn't put anything in my book that I haven't personally done multiple times. And just like I learned from the dinner of truth, uh, I learned very new strengths that other people see in me that I frankly never even thought about before. And so I think we can look at it from both of those angles. And it's really a matter of saying, where, where could I stand to have the most growth? I think that's a great question about, about cultivating your, or sort of understanding your strengths. You know, one of the things that I've, I've found is that oftentimes when someone, and I've personally experienced this as well, when you're really strong at something, uh, it seems almost obvious to you. And it, it's almost hard to sort of get clear perspective that that's something you're good at, as opposed to that just something that people are good at in general and distinguishing between those two things. I think that's so true. You know, imagine somebody who's accidentally great at presenting, let's say, you know, they, they just are sort of built that way that they're an amazing public speaker. If they don't know that that's a defining strength of how they're showing up, it doesn't give them the ability to, to, you know, leverage that and utilize that to help them be more successful. If I don't know that public speaking is a unique strength for me, I might not raise my hands when it comes time to volunteer for the board presentation. And if I did, it would help me be even more successful. So I think your point is, is a really excellent one. So let's circle back to the concept of feedback. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, one of the things that you know, we talk about a lot on the show as well is the idea that to, to be self-aware, you need to be constantly getting information about your behavior, about your own thoughts, about your actions, et cetera. But I, I completely agree at the same time that you have to be very cognizant of what the source of that information is. And that was another very surprising finding, frankly, for me uh, in talking to our self-awareness unicorns. I expected that when we conducted these interviews with them, they would report, you know, oh my gosh, I, I get feedback all the time. I get feedback from everyone I know at work and all of my family and the person behind me in the checkout line at the grocery store. But we actually found the exact opposite. Most of our unicorns, almost all of our unicorns, relied on just a handful of people that they actively got feedback from. And the, the two characteristics that almost all of those people had uh, were as follows. So the first was the, the, the person was confident that that source of feedback really wanted them to be successful. So I remember I said earlier, not all feedback is well-intended. You have to be sure that somebody really has your back and they're giving you any feedback they're giving you in the spirit of your success. But that's not enough, right? So we also have to believe that they are going to tell us the the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, so the first part is the person is loving. And the second person is they're willing to be a critic if they need to. So I, I call them loving critics. And a lot of times people have one but not the other. You, Everybody has that coworker who just is, is negative about everything, uh, who would be a great critic, but maybe who doesn't really want you to be that successful. Or you might have somebody in your life that you know just loves you and adores you, but will never never tell you that that haircut you got really doesn't do you any favors. And so the unicorns were very strategic and very discerning about who they got feedback from. And in my opinion, that is you know at least 
70% of the work uh, in terms of getting feedback is just being laser focused on who we listen to. Another thing we learned was that they, our unicorns didn't rely on other people to approach them with feedback. And this is supported by a lot of science. There was a, a really cool study from the 1960s. Dr. Rosen was one of the researchers and they basically, they put people in a room and created a situation where uh, a stranger, a participant in the study, really should have given somebody else in the room some some bad news. It was it, they sort of mocked it up. It was a crisis about their family, but the person who uh, needed the bad news was a confederate of the researchers, and they found that when the news was bad almost no one told this person the truth and and they really needed to hear it in the situation they concocted so from that they they called this phenomenon the mum effect m u m our unicorns smartly never assumed that people would tell them uh, anything you know they never assumed that people would tell them what they're doing well they never assumed that people would tell them what they weren't doing well. Instead, they took it on themselves to get regular feedback on their own terms. Kind of related to that, another thing I'd say is one person's feedback is not necessarily going to be something that's reflective of how all people see you. So especially if, you know, maybe maybe you get feedback from that nasty coworker and you say, "Okay, I don't want to dismiss this outright because maybe there's something valuable in it for me." I'm going to go talk to a couple of my loving critics and see if they see it too. And that way, if, if you, if you can find a consistent pattern, either in a strength or an area for development, that is going to give you more confidence that focusing on it will impact lots and lots of areas of your life. How can we, or how have you sort of found in your work to be, how can you open people up to feedback? You know, I mean, especially kind of bringing back the idea of the Dunning-Kruger effect, someone who doesn't understand because of their own lack of self-awareness how kind of far off the mark they are and maybe resists or doesn't want to hear feedback or criticism how can you kind of open those open their ears so to speak that's a question i get all the time and i i've gone back and forth on this and landed at a place that i think is is the most reasonable place which is to say that other people's self-awareness journeys are not ours to navigate and what I mean by that is it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't help other people, but it also means that we can't, you know, give them the motivation to get there if they don't have it. A lot of times, you know, I talked at the very beginning of this conversation about those people at work who just have absolutely no idea how they're coming across. You could, if you felt like it and you were willing to assume the risk, sit down with them and tell them all of these things. But because we have such well-honed defense mechanisms, if they're not feeling the pain or if they're not ready to do something differently, it's only going to make things worse in a lot of cases. You know, they might resent you or they might think you're out to get them. There, there are a couple of situations that I talk about in the book where we can approach somebody very tentatively with feedback. Sometimes unaware people know that something is wrong, but they don't know that they're a large part of the problem. And sometimes in those situations, they might be genuinely curious about what's going on. So, uh, you know, maybe I interrupt people in the office all the time and I'm, I'm sort of noticing that I'm having prickly relationships with people. Maybe I turn to my coworker and I say, you know, why is everybody so mean around here? 
uh, that that might be an entry point to the conversation. But but the other thing I'll tell people is you have to be willing to assume the risk and you have to be willing to, to accept the worst case scenario. And think about that. If this person is so unaware and if I truly want to take that risk, am I willing to accept what happens if things go really, really south? And I think that's that's a judgment call. There are no hard and fast rules for that, but we should always, always, always go into that with, with our eyes wide open. What is one piece of homework that you would give for somebody listening to the show that kind of wants to take a first step towards self-awareness? I think the easiest, highest payoff activity would actually be to take that insight quiz that I mentioned earlier. They can access it. It's at www.insight-quiz.com. And what I think is really valuable about it is it takes less than five minutes and it gives you a high level picture of your internal and your external self-awareness. And from there, that sort of opens up a whole new path and a whole new way to strategize about what you want to work on. Perfect. Well, we will make sure to include that quiz uh, in the show notes. So listeners who are checking that out can can definitely access it. And I think that's a great tool. I mean, I was at one of the questions I actually was thinking about asking you was, are, are there any kind of tried and true self assessments that you can have someone take that sort of gauges their self awareness? So I think that's a great resource. And that's actually a subset, a 14-item subset of a larger, more comprehensive assessment that we've been researching and developing. So even though it's not your entirety of self-awareness, it's a very, very rigorously developed scientific tool. Excellent. Well, Tasha, where can people find you and the book and your work online? I, I'm uh, not difficult to find <laughs> online, so they, they can connect with me on pretty much any social media, Tasha Urich, if they want to learn more about the book and, and or take the Insight Quiz. The overall book website is insight-book.com. Awesome. Well, Tasha, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom. You know, we're huge proponents of self-awareness on the show, and I think that the, the strategies and insights you shared today were super valuable. Wonderful. Thank you so much for advancing that cause. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every listener email. I'm going to give you three quick reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. First, you're going to get exclusive curated weekly emails from us, including our Mindset Monday email, which listeners have been absolutely loving. It's short, simple, articles, stories, things we found fascinating and interesting in the last week. Next, you're going to get a chance to shape the show, vote on guests, submit your own personal questions to our guests, and change aspects of the show like our intro music and much more. Lastly, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide when you sign up and join the email list today. There's some incredible stuff on the email list that only people who've signed up get access to. So be sure to sign up. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're on the go, you're driving around, you're out and about, just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, 
The greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all this incredible information, links, transcripts, everything we talked about, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.